Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated, evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I am so excited to have Shira and Shayna from How to ABA back on the podcast for the second time. I absolutely love chatting like anything ABA with them. I feel like the three of us could like geek out over data sheets and behavior plans like all day long. This time we're talking assessment and they have so many great recommendations for how to make assessment more approachable. I love the mindset that they share on really how to approach assessment in a way that leads to long-term goals and things that are going to really make a difference in that child's life. So we break down this overly complicated topic and they also have an amazing freebie for you that I'm linking in the show notes. They link to their checklist style assessment that will help you create goals, something you can use easily in the classroom, and I can't wait for you to hear all about it. So let's talk assessments with Shira and Shayna. Hi, Shira and Shayna. Thank you so much for coming back on the Autism Helper podcast for the second time. Thanks for having us. We're so happy to be here. This is a lot of S names, Sasha, Shira, and Shayna. <laughs> Say that five times fast. <laughs> well, today we're going to chat about assessment, and I think this is a topic that overwhelms people. It sounds really intimidating and like it's going to take a ton of time and be really challenging. But I think today we can kind of break down those barriers and talk about how approachable assessment can be and what are some things we can do to make assessment more user-friendly. Yeah, I think this is a topic that we're really passionate about. And it's because like it really affects so much about the program. And I think when people feel overwhelmed by assessments, 
it really, you know, gets in the way of the programming. And then the other thing that we find a lot of people do is rely maybe too much on assessments. And then their programming becomes very like stunted by their assessments. So it's something that we teach a lot and we really feel like people can become more comfortable with. That's a good point that you can kind of over rely on assessment. So you almost need that, that balance. Yeah. And I think you need to know really what the assessments are there for. Assessments are not there to like dictate, you know, boxes that you need to fill in. Like I have to check this box. I'm going to teach receptive labels with three targets so that I can complete that assessment box. Assessments are really meant to be more of a guide so that we can really learn to think for ourselves as to like, overall, what is the big picture needs of our students? Mm-hmm. You know, when thinking about that kind of being overwhelmed or being or being hyper focused on an assessment, I think sometimes that especially teachers maybe get overwhelmed at the idea of assessments because there's very few that fit the needs of their class. You know, maybe you have standardized assessments available in your classroom or in your school district, and then you're like, well, this doesn't really help, and it's now a waste of my time. And there's so much power in informal assessments too, things that we create, like you said, that show that big picture skill. What types of informal assessments do you like to utilize? It's so true, Sasha. You know, with our informal assessments, the first thing we ask ourselves is, what are our goals or what do we want to accomplish or what do we want to test? So, you know, an informal assessment could be very similar to just, hey, you know, is this person a beginner learner? And, you know, can they point and can they follow a point and can they follow a few directions? Or it could be something you know, more complex in a classroom, like, you know, can they spell? You know, can they, you know, add and subtract two digit numbers? Uh, so whatever your goal is, that informal assessment could really just be treated like a baseline or a pretest to what you would like to teach. Some of the best teachers I, I work with currently um, have backgrounds in ABA and have either been DCBAs or have a strong ABA background. And I remember I have one teacher who her first year teaching created this phenomenal informal assessment where she was teaching like almost like a pre-K type class. And she took a whole bunch of skills of like, just, you know, things that the student would need in this classroom. So the student needs to follow one-step instructions. They need to cut. They need to maybe print their name. And she just put it all together in this really nice, like, little booklet. Um, and it was so well done. And it really was just about what are the needs that this that this cl- student needs in this classroom? And how can I just check? Do they have these skills or do they not? Where do I need to focus more of my time and energy on the student's IEP? Um, so it's kind of like a baseline. Like, do they have this skill or not? And then if they don't have it, Let's teach it. Even just some of those examples, like you said, like a booklet or an observation, that feels like something we could all do easily. But for some reason, once we throw like the label assessment in front of it, it feels like it feels like it needs to be something more formal, but it, it doesn't. Sasha, I've seen so many people take a formal assessment and take a month or two months to complete this assessment. And, you know, I shudder because the longer you take to complete an assessment, the less teaching time you have, right? So your learner isn't learning as much because you're too busy assessing. So an assessment, even if it's a formal assessment, should be pretty quick and dirty. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, yeah, I've for sure seen people take a long time too. And then you're like, oh my God, we waste, not wasted, but like it's a lot of time to spend towards, towards something that you may or may not get valuable information out of. Right. And you know, if you've got a student who's just entering your classroom for the very first time, you're probably not even paired with that student. That student may be overwhelmed just because the classroom environment may be different. You know, the lights might be overwhelming or the noise or, you know, you as a teacher, um, you know, are new to that student. So they really don't know you. And if you're not paired with that student and you're trying to do an assessment, the results are going to be incorrect anyway. 
That's a really good point. So if you're getting a new student or even at the start of the year, when do you recommend starting assessments? You know, it really is based on the learner, but, you know, typically you would have a student come in and, you know, probably at least a week in the classroom to get adjusted and, you know, look at, you know, doing something like, okay, you know, when the student is comfortable in the class and define what comfortable means, um, you know, then I can go ahead and do an assessment. It's really tricky because, you know, we work, I work in a classroom also where there are multiple professionals doing multiple assessments. So there's, you know, the therapy assessments and the academic assessments and all the other kinds of assessments. And if we let everybody kind of sit around and assess for the first, you know, two months of school, no learning would really happen. So we always encourage teachers to just like start, start teaching, like start your classroom. Um, the assessments will follow. They have time, I would say, after a month of just getting to know their students to do some of the informal assessments and then starting to develop those IEPs. Um, and then I think people get confused between like assessment and baseline and like the whole data piece coming into play there. Um, and they have a hard time kind of converting like, well, I did this assessment, but what does that mean for the baseline? And then what does that mean for the data collection? Uh, but I really think people just overthink it. You know, like what what do you want this student to do? Are they currently doing it or how much of it are they doing and where do we want them to be? Um, and we can really yeah. simplify it so that it's not so overwhelming using terminology like from complicated assessments and data collection. It, it really gets, I think, a little bit over intimidating. Yeah, it does. And like I, you, you hit it nail on the head with that like baseline versus data collection. But does it really matter if we know if the skill is mastered or not mastered? It's going to give us that important information of what we should do next. If it came from data you're taking on Tuesday or a quote unquote assessment you had scheduled for Wednesday, it doesn't matter. We know what we have to do next now. Yeah. As long as you're using that information, right? Like sometimes we collect the information that we don't always do anything with it. Um, but what I do like about assessments also is that it does show progress over time. So a lot of our students, um, you know, they'll they'll spend multiple years in the same classroom or, you know, we'll be teaching them for a long time about certain goals. And it does take them a little bit longer to master those goals. And so the nice thing about having an assessment that you can rely on, that you can repeat um, and see progress over time, as opposed to just being like a frantic way to kind of collect goals and information, it is a good way to track that progress. Exactly. I love having that when you're like every, every six months or even every year seeing like, okay, and then we can share that with parents. These are all the new things we've learned. When you think about students that are in classroom multiple years, and this obviously depends on the student and the type of assessment, but what kind of cadence is maybe a good goal for that repeated assessment to show progress? So this is actually something that like we kind of always struggle with. Um, we typically would say, you know, every six months things should be updated, but then, you know, we have some styles of learning or some classrooms where that's too often. And some of our students take a lot longer to master through goals or to make progress on their goals. So, you know, they might get updated a little bit less often than every six months. But I think thinking about it every six months and at least doing a check-in is a good place to start. Yeah, I like that idea. Even if it's like, okay, no, I think we're going to wait a little longer, but having that, like, let's just check in on it and see if I want to do it kind of thing is a good goal. Yeah, definitely. Like at least an update on the progress. Like why wasn't this goal mastered? Do we need to like yeah. make a little bit of, you know, changes or this is why, you know, maybe the student missed a lot of schools. So we're going to continue, but we're not going to reassess. So like at least there being some oversight to those goals. Or maybe the yeah. goals need to be broken down further. So, you know, the goal you had was too lofty or it had five steps to it. So, you know, well, actually, you know, the progress, the goal hasn't been met because there was five steps to it, but two of these steps have been mastered. So let's start here instead. 
Yeah, exactly. And then, and then that is a, it's almost like the prompt for you that we sometimes like the adults need that prompt of like the six months or else it might a year go by and you're like, Oh shoot, I forgot to do that. Well, you know, school, when they've got semester systems, it's a perfect time for a check-in as well. It's probably less often or sorry, it's more often than six months, but it's nice because maybe at the start of every new term is a great time to at least check in and say, okay, do I need to reassess or is the assessment from the beginning of the year still appropriate? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But I love what you said about the accountability for the students, for the teachers and the staff. Um, I think that sometimes, you know, teachers don't always have the skill set of like, you know, assessments and goal writing and data collection. And and sometimes like, you know, it's, they don't like doing it. At least a lot of the teachers that I work with, they really like teaching. Like they like working with the kids and then having to write all those IEPs and do the assessments is kind of like, oh, I don't really want to do it. But at least having the accountability of like, okay, let's check in on this, let's reassess, let's work on this together every six months or so, it does mean that like there's more accountability and that teachers are, you know, responsible to update the goals, to refer to the goals, um, and to at least get more familiar with like that whole process. And then it's not a surprise at the IEP time too, where you're like, oh gosh, I haven't, I've way, you know, I, we haven't even gotten close to this goal because I didn't realize we needed to make changes earlier too. Totally. You know, you kind of touched on this earlier, but thinking about, you know, embedding this into your day and when, you, you know, this, this kind of struck on me when you talked about multiple therapists doing multiple assessments and thinking about how to embed these into the, your day. What are some tips you have for embedding assessments into the school day so it doesn't feel intimidating for the learner? Like, oh my gosh, now I have to go do this special test <laughs> and where we're going to get, you know, totally inaccurate data. Can you imagine having an all-day exam? I just actually had flashbacks of the BAC exam. <laughs> you know, when I went, oh my yeah. gosh, like that was a three-hour exam and having to concentrate for that long. Um, you know, and we think as experienced BCBAs, well, of course you just embed it into your day. But you're right, Sasha. A lot of people think, okay, I've got to get this whole assessment done all at once. Okay, sit down and hopefully you can sit for this long because we're going to try it. So I remember like, you know, back in the day being trained as an ABA therapist and doing assessments. And there were certain rules about how to do the assessment and you sit the kid down and there's no reinforcement and the way you give the SD and the instruction. And I'll say in a classroom, I almost never do it that way. Um, I think the easiest things are like what is simple and doable and having a easy one pager, a checklist, um, something that you can use just by, you know, standing back and observing for a few minutes or giving it to one of your staff as in a quick checklist. Can the student do this, 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 and this, and this during playtime? Did you see them do this, this, and this? And having it just be a really easy one pager. I think when you hand someone like this big, you know, huge booklet of like, here's an complete able. So sit this student Mm -hmm. down and go through everything that they may never have seen in their life. 
Um, I don't think that it's effective. And, and of course, that's overwhelming. But if you can pull out specific things that you really know this student's going to need in this classroom, a couple communication goals, a couple language goals, a couple play goals, social goals, put them on, a, on one page, turn it into a checklist, and have any one of your staff then just observe for a couple days, did they show this skill or did they not? And then that's it. And like in an ideal world, the student student wouldn't even know it's an assessment. It's just their playtime, their regularly scheduled playtime, no big deal. And they can actually demonstrate what they know. Yeah, totally. And then you're not wasting anyone's time. You're not sitting, like I said, if you imagine if you had 10 students and each one had to complete a, you know, a four to eight hour assessment, you're talking about weeks of time yeah. of somebody just sitting there assessing and assessing when it could just be a really more dynamic process of observations, checklist, you know, and, and making it much simpler. I have a very vivid memory of when I was in the classroom, a student was up for a three-year reeval, and the school psychologist came to take him on Halloween, brought him from the classroom where we're having a party and it was Aww. fun and he was dressed in like a crazy costume and brought him to the therapy room where I was just playing and whatever. And he had to get an assessment on Halloween. And I was really mad about it. And you know who else was really mad? His mom. And I was so happy she like stood up for him because I had said something and kind of gotten disregarded. And the parent was like, are you kidding? You did an assessment on Halloween? Like, of course he didn't demonstrate anything he knows. Yeah. Poor kid. Like their time is important too. Yeah. And like, even just going to a new room alone is is uncomfortable and scary for kids. Absolutely. And you know what, that's not learning, right? So, you know, a teacher is teaching a student in a classroom, you know, the ultimate goal is generalization. So, you know, do some probes of what it actually looks like in that classroom situation where the student is going to be most of the time. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and and we can easily embed some of those other, you know, I know other clinicians have to do other types of assessments. We can easily embed that into the classroom setting where they feel comfortable. Now, sometimes, Sasha, I will pull students, uh, not necessarily out of the classroom, but I will pull them off to the side to do some type of, you know, one-to-one assessment just to assess language skills or attending or commenting some social skills, etc. And I can also make that look pretty natural um, if I bring some preferred items with me. And it's not about first you do this and then you get the preferred item, but it's actually about, hey, let's play on play with this together. Sometimes it's actually let's look at a book together or, hey, let's play this board game together or let's play with these, you know, preferred toys and let's see where this interaction goes. Um, you know, Sharon and I have developed a checklist for those types of situations and we've divided it up into a beginner learner, an intermediate learner and an advanced learner. So, you know, a beginner learner, when I'm playing with toys, I'm really looking just to see, you know, what the child's communication skills are like. Are they referencing me at some point in time during the play? Are they requesting for anything? Are they requesting for an item back? Or are they requesting using a point? Or are they asking for help somehow? That type of thing. Are they imitating anything that I'm doing? Are they following any simple instructions? Um, you know, and that's, I can get that from play and I can just check, 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 check. Um, you know, it's all informal chicken scratch, you know, I can write it up later. Uh, and then, you know, if it's an intermediate learner, I'm really looking at 
what their language skills are like. You know, are they talking in three or four word phrases, or maybe they're using an augmentative communication system or sign language of some kind to communicate, but, you know, are they protesting appropriately? Are they requesting attention? Are they following longer instructions? Are they, you know, imitating more than, you know, one step instruction or one, one step movements, you know, do they play with the board game or looking at the books appropriately? Are they commenting, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and then a more advanced learner, you know, I'm looking at more complex skills, um, but can still get that idea of like, what's their back and back and forth conversation look like? Are they making comments that are on topic based on what I've just said, or are they initiating things? Are they, you know, sticking to one preferred topic or are they expanding their conversation skills? You know, are they playing appropriately with toys or are they, you know, doing one thing, you know, over and over again? And does their play look very rigid? And I can get all that, you know, with only a few play items and probably playing with a learner for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. I just say one of my pet peeves in, in, in assessments is when you see, you know, somebody who's working with a child to assess their skill with, you know, a clipboard or a book or a binder or even worse, a computer. And, you know, they're so busy, distracted by their papers or the computer that's in front of them that they're missing out on the whole point. And if you kind of let all that go and really just spend time with this student with nothing in front of you other than the toys that you're using or whatever it is, um, you'll get a lot more information. And I think people need to you know, be freed from this burden of computers and paperwork in front of their faces so that they can, you know, feel like I could just play with the student and I'm going to get such good information from just engaging and whether it's a, a play style or more of an academic style, like read a book together, like see how they can answer the questions. Can they read the words? Can they point to the pictures? Like that's already almost a complete program that you can develop from that. And I love the idea that you guys have been talking about with the checklist because, and and that's a great point, not having it right in front of you and be like, oh, you just did that. Let me get it right away. Like, you know, right before you're going to go play or read a book, reviewing what things you might be looking for. And then right when you're done, you can still remember what just happened. Like, did they, did they say no? Did they, what kind of, you know, how long were their utterances? Like you can remember all that right when you're back with that checklist to take those notes. I've been known to fill out assessments at a coffee shop. So, you know, I'll work with a student, you know, in, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of play, sometimes even less than that. And then I leave the classroom and I can go to a coffee shop or I can go to another classroom by myself and right away, you know, do that brain dump onto another piece of paper or onto a computer away from the student. A checklist feels so much more manageable. And like you had said earlier, you could you could hand that to a staff member, even just pieces of it. Like, hey, can you look for these three things while they're playing? That could be something so helpful that, you know, teams could help with. Yeah, totally. And if, and if you, you know, feel like you want to rely on some things that are not included in a checklist or some of the more formal assessments or standardized assessments, um, you also don't have to do the entire thing. So if you want to take a, a portion of a VB map or an equals assessment and turn it into just, I'm just going to focus on, you know, the life skills section from this assessment, turn that just that piece into a, a one page checklist. Um, and don't feel like you have to complete, you know, entire assessments all the time. I think that that's okay too. Yeah. So once you get your, once you get your data from a checklist, what's that next step for you when you've kind of gathered that information, then what do you do with it? We have a program planning matrix and what that really looks like is just boxes on a page and you know the boxes on a page are just different categories so one of the categories would be requesting another category might be expressive language um, another category might be math or reading or life skills and then we 
take the results of that assessment and we dump it into this program planning matrix. So for instance, if I'm playing with a student and I recognize that the student can't follow a point, you know, or they can't engage in, you know, following one step instructions or any type of gross motor imitation, I'll, in my head, I'll think of programs like, well, they need that. They, they need to learn that. That's a huge skill. And then I just put that on a program planning matrix. Like, okay, so they need to do this. And I'll put that under receptive language. And I'll put, um, you know, gross motor imitation under imitation skills. And I'll put, you know, oh, they need to request with a point under requesting skills. So then at the very end of that, you know, I have probably about 10 different programs that I've just really brain dumped from that assessment into the program planning matrix. So that's how you would like choose the programs. And then for some of our beginner learners, it's kind of easier to say, well, they have this skill or they don't have the skill. So the baseline would look something like they do not have the skill or the skill is shown at 0% or whatever, whatever that data looks like. For some of the more intermediate or advanced learners, after you choose those programs, so you're saying, well, they're not able to, you know, answer WH questions when I'm reading this book, then you may still have to do a bit of a baseline. Well, I've chosen to teach, you know, answering where answers where and when questions. So you may have to do a bit of a baseline as to well, how many can they answer. Um, and, and then from there, well, if they're able to answer two with supported visuals, then you may want to get the, the goal as well, I want them to answer eight varying WH questions without visuals. So you're able to kind of once you once you narrow down what you want to focus on, you then take that area of focus, do a little baseline and see exactly more where they're at. So then you can create a goal from there. That's a little bit more objective. That feels way more manageable than trying to learn like every single thing about every single skill they could learn. You know, once you, okay, I know I want to focus on this, then I can really dig in and feel and figure out exactly where their struggles lie and not try to just target everything at once. Yeah, and you know your classroom, you you know like what you want them to come out at the end of the year with. And I think something that we do in assessments is we we become too microscopic and focusing on the assessment. But if you take a step back as a teacher and think about the big picture, like where do I want the student to be? Then you're using the assessment more as a guide and a support to say, well, I really want them to be communicators. Well, if that's a goal, then let's use the assessment to like figure out where their gaps are in communicating. And that's going to be a focus of my program this year. We're going to work on communication. And so it's really there to help support more of the big picture than becoming so microscopic with like completing an entire assessment and then like figuring out where those boxes are that need to be filled in. How do you prioritize goals when you have, when you conduct an assessment and you feel like there's a ton to work on, that's maybe too much for, you know, working on at one time, how do you prioritize which to work on in which order? That's a great question. Um, I think that you need to like speak with the team, um, parent goals, different therapists, if they're involved in the team, um, the, the rest of the teachers and the educators, like whoever else is a stakeholder with, with this student. And then it's, I think it's something that we always need to be thinking like five or 10 years down the road. So, you know, we'll very often as teachers want, if you're teaching a classroom of young kids, you want them to be able to like play. And I find that some teachers in the preschool classes I work with are so focused on getting their kids to play and they have to play and engage and have leisure time and play. And then what happens is they go to grade one and it's like, everybody stopped playing. Now you need to sit at a desk. <laughs> and we spend so much time teaching these play skills. That's so hard for so many of our students because it's so unstructured and open-ended and, and not engaging. And then at the end of the day, it doesn't even really matter. Like they don't really need to use those play skills. So I think that we need to think about where is this student going to be in 
two years, five years, 10 years. And let's start putting those building blocks in place that are really going to matter. For some of our students, it may not be a full focus on academic skills. We may want to shift to a little bit more of a life skills goal um, or a functional academic program. And for some of our other learners, it may be more of a focus on literacy and math and things like that. But I think we have to be always thinking ahead. Um, and where do, we, where do we see this student a couple years down the road? That's a really great point. And and thinking about that next like season of set of skills because it might it might take a while. I mean, we're talking about really challenging things like taking turns and playing and and things that aren't going to be taught in a few months. Yeah, and also one of the things that I think kind of takes over is a lot of people are become especially in school very focused on like what are their literacy and math goals? What are their academic goals? And a lot of the students I'm seeing are like they could do really well in academics if their behavior was under control or they're, mm-hmm. they do really well, but they really struggle with attending or like they're not fully toilet trained. And so sometimes we forget to think about all of those things that are becoming barriers to learning because we focus so much on like sometimes the table work and their reading skills and their math skills. And I think we need to remember to keep a focus on the things that are going to keep them out of either typical classrooms or, you know, more um, less restrictive settings that are a lot of those like, behaviors and, and attending and life skills and self-help skills. And that's something that I've been emphasizing with a lot of the teachers we're working with who come with a background of wanting to teach their kids the academics. And we're really trying to shift it to, don't forget, they also need to be able to manage to walk down the hall. Yeah. And can you use these same kind of assessments that we've been talking about, informal assessments for those types of skills as well? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I think we incorporate things like attending, behavior, self-help, life skills, for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of kids do, especially, I think, gosh, especially now after the last two years with COVID, have such strong academics, but that's not the barrier to why they're not being successful in the classroom setting. It's all of these other behavioral skills and independent skills that are really more of the issue. Yeah, and I think it's back to, like, just being able to see the big picture. So it's not just picking, you know, an academic assessment and relying on that to develop the IEP, but learning how to take a step back and think about the whole student and the big picture and like their their all of their skills across all domains. Yeah. I like this like emphasis on that. And that's something that I think once you get like really gun ho with one assessment, you do kind of forget about, you know, that like, <laughs> and I, I don't have to do the whole ABLES, you know, A to Z. I don't have to do every section of the VB map. And for me, when I was a younger teacher and I discovered the ABLES, it was like a big light bulb moment because I didn't know about all of those skills. Like I was like, okay, I'm teaching matching and I'm teaching sorting. And then what else do I do? Like, I was like, I didn't, I, I didn't think about all of the different ways that you can work on language and visual perception and receptive language skills. So it was, it was exciting to like learn about all of that, but giving and ables is super overwhelming. So even just doing, dipping your toe in, in some of these different assessments to maybe learn about the different skills and then figuring out, yeah, what's in line with your big goal for that student. Yeah. And what's also so amazing with some of the assessments, if we can use them well, is teaching us about the progression of skills. So, you know, we wouldn't start with um, answering WH questions if they're not able to identify certain pictures in a book, or we wouldn't start with certain um, tacting programs without having a strong receptive vocabulary. So things like that, I think they do help in helping teachers and team members know how to like, you know, teach that progression of skill and knowing what has to come before teaching some of the higher level skills. Yes. Especially for those early learner skills. Cause 
yes, we have like our academic common core and other type of standards to see the academic progression, but for like communication and things that involve like waiting and things like that, you're like, wait, where is, where's that for, for these, the scope and sequence for that? So it, it is helpful for that too. Yeah, totally. So you have a free checklist for us and I think everyone's going to be really excited about this. Can you, you kind of gave a little overview of it before, but can you kind of give some ideas of what this checklist can be used for? Yes, we created this checklist and it really does pull from like a bunch of different assessments and things that we find to be the most helpful skills and being able to to look for in a student. Um, So it's divided by beginner learner, intermediate learner and advanced learner. And it just gives you guidance as to like, what are we looking for when we're working with this learner? So when we're playing with a beginner learner, we want to be looking for certain skills and we're going to want to contrive situations so that we can see if they can point, if they can ask for help, if they can play. Um, And it helps guide us in our play so that we know exactly what to look for. Can you talk through what you mean by contrive an example of? or contrive an opportunity for? Contrive really just means set up the situation, right? So if I want to contrive an opportunity for a student to make a request, you know, I am going to set up the situation so that the student needs to request. So for instance, I might have a coloring sheet in front of a student, but I may not have crayons. So the student has to request for the crayons, or I can see whether or not that situation is there, whether they can actually do that or not. So contrive is just a fancy word for set up a situation. And if I'm going in to like assess a new learner or get to know a new learner, I'm going to find out in advance what, what they love, like what their most preferred items are so that I'm going to have them with me. And then I'm going to always be thinking one step ahead. Well, if I hide it, will he look for it? Or if I like put it behind my back, will he like wonder where it went? So I'm always thinking about how can I get this child motivated or set up situations that I could get more out of them or see what their interests are. That's a great tip, like learning ahead of time so you are prepared. Yeah, yeah. It's got to think outside the box sometimes, I think, as professionals. Um, The other thing that comes with the checklist is, like Shana mentioned, is our programming matrix. So like we talked about being able to see the big picture, being able to like, you know, put everything down on paper so that you can see that you're covering all domains. Like we said, not just focusing too much on literacy goals, but um, incorporating other stakeholders' goals in all across domains, life skills, behavior, attending, and being remembering that those even exist, um, and <laughs> knowing that like you know we should have some programming in at least some more of the domains than just one, um, especially for a lot of our students that really need that. Great. Well, I'm going to link that in the show notes, and I know that's going to be super helpful for everyone, especially you know as you've talked about something that's quick and easy to use and then going to give that bridge tied directly to creating goals is just so needed. So thank you both so much. Where can people go to learn more from you both? So you can always find us at howtoaba.com. Um, we have a free membership that has all of this information and our checklist and programming matrix at howtoaba.com slash free. Um, check that out. Great. Thank you both so much. It's so great to have you back on the podcast for a second time. Sasha, it's so great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. 
or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.